I'm turning to First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. We've been here for several weeks. We're talking about the prayer of Jabez. We've taken a little side detour in this series on the power of prayer to change your life, experiencing the power of prayer to change your life. And I've been looking at the prayer of Jabez in First Chronicles 4, 9 through 10. Now, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. That's what the name Jabez means, pain. Think about growing up named that for the rest of your life. Pain. Hey, pain. How you doing? Pain. What was your day like? You know, we're choosing sides for a football match. Pain, we're not, we're not looking for you to be on this. You can sit over there on the sidelines. Pain. The debilitating circumstances of being named something other than what his God-given destiny was supposed to be would have been impacting in an extraordinarily negative way. Jabez, though, called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. I have already talked about the first three things that Jabez prayed. Today, I want to specifically focus on his fourth request which is that you would keep me from evil. I am talking about the power of prayer to change your space. The first prayer was that you would bless me indeed, which means bless, bless me, let blessing follow blessing. The second was that you would enlarge the scope of my territory, the place where I have authority. Every one of us have authority within a certain dimension of our realm of existence. And we keep bumping up against ceilings, don't we? In various aspects of our lives, you hit a place financially, get knocked back down. Same thing in relationships, it goes so far, it's as far as it seems to go. Jabez specifically prayed, increase my territory or my space. I've talked about that. Last week I spoke about the third request, that your hand would be with me. Even though he asked that his space would be increased, he was very clear in saying, as much as I want success, I don't want it unless you're there, Lord. I don't want to go to the promised land unless you go with me. That was what Moses said. And I want you to know when you value the blesser more than the blessing, you're on track to receive great things in your life. Amen. The fourth request is that you would keep me from evil. And the fifth is that I may not cause pain. Father, I pray that today you would open your word to our understanding. Speak to us in a way that is impacting and life-changing. Transform us. We need your word. We live by it. We want to build our lives upon it. And so let it be revelational and insightful to us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. As I continue to say, the prayer of Jabez is an extraordinary prayer. That's not so much because of what he prayed. It's rather a simple prayer. It's to the point. It's succinct. It doesn't contain deep prayer-like language such as you might be accustomed to hearing in church. He doesn't use thee or thou or other quaint language from the King James era. It is extraordinary, though, in that it teaches us two very significant things. First, it reveals the way for mankind to get back what we once possessed and that we lost in the fall. This prayer 
points the way. Let me briefly explain. When God created man, he gave man authority. That's what Jabez's prayer was about. Increase my territory. We were all created to have dominion. That was one of the mandates, the Genesis mandates that God gave to Adam in creation. When God created man, we were supposed to have dominion, not be under subjugation. The scripture tells us the steps, and this prayer does as well, that we should take to become who we were meant to be in the first place. Turning your life over to God changes literally everything in your life. Learning to go to God in prayer will transform your life in an extraordinary way. Amen. Because Adam sinned, he forfeited the authority that God had given him. Ever since then, man, to be honest, has struggled. He struggled in his finances. He struggled in his career. We've struggled in relationships, in our health, and in everything else over which we once possessed authority. We keep hitting the same ceiling in life. As I've already mentioned, careers, relationships, finances reach a certain place and fizzle out. We keep running into the same limitations. You can win the lottery and two years later be right back where you started. The purpose of the Bible is to guide mankind back to all he once possessed but lost in the fall. That includes the authority that he once walked in. And then the second thing about this prayer that is extraordinary is this prayer reveals the heart of God and what he desires for us. God wants us to be made whole and restored to the place we were created to be in him. This is made clear by the fact that when Jabez prayed for his territory or the space over which he had authority to be increased, that God granted his prayer. God would not have granted that prayer if it wasn't in his heart and in his nature to bless Jabez. He would have simply ignored him or said no. As I mentioned, five things Jabez prayed for. What is significant about the last two that I'm focusing on now is they were, the last three rather, that the hand of God would be with him, that he would be kept from evil, and that he would do others no harm. As they help you continue to live and keep the authority that God is increasing in your life. You don't want to get it and then lose it next week. You don't want to get bumped up and promoted only to be demoted a little bit later on. Amen. First Chronicles 4 verse 10. Again, the D clause that you would keep me from evil. Satan and God have been at war with each other from before the creation of man. Jabez prayed. That's how you win the war. Just look at your neighbor and say, you win the war through prayer. Would you do that? It's really important in war, really important that you know who the enemy is, right? Really important. One day the devil, joke, okay? Joke. Y'all don't mind if I tell a joke. One day the devil showed up at church and blew into the church service like a mighty tornado. People were terrified, so they jumped out windows, ran to the doors, created new doors in the wall. They fled in terror. And when the dust settled, the only two people left in the church were the pastor and one elderly gentleman sitting on the front pew, acting as though nothing had happened. The devil looked at the pastor and he said, I understand why you're still here. You and I have been fighting each other for a long time. But who is this fellow that is still sitting on the front row? And the old fellow looked at the devil and said, you mean you don't recognize me? I've been married to your sister for the last 57 years. 
(laughs) You need to know who your enemy is. Amen. Now don't take offense. In Matthew 6, in what has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus instructed us to pray that our Heavenly Father would deliver us from evil. Matthew 6, 9-13, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Say it, deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Though it has been called the Lord's prayer, it's not really the Lord's prayer at all. It's more a model of how we are supposed to pray. And in this model, Jesus is pointing out that we cannot stand against evil by ourselves. Actually, in the Greek, it says more than that we should just pray to be delivered from evil. The original text said that we should pray that God would deliver us from the evil one. It's talking about a specific personality, malevolent, whose intentions are wicked and harmful. And we should ask him for the strength and the power to be delivered. Jesus recognized that we in a fallen state as man do not have the power to overcome spiritual forces of darkness. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Could I hear somebody give the Lord a praise break right now? Amen. There is evil in our world, but prayer can protect our home. It can protect our city. It can protect our state, our nation, our world. Amen. It can protect your marriage. Did you know that? The family that prays together really does stay together. Prayer can raise up a hedge of protection around about your children and your health and your finances. It creates a divine immunity, as it were where the enemy is not allowed to torment and come into your life and wreak havoc the way that he might if you did not have prayer shielding your home. That is why family devotions is one of the single most important things that we as leaders of our homes can ever do. To gather our family around and pray together and read the word of God together is not a waste of time. Oh no. Because Jesus said there is an evil one that lurks in the shadows. Today we're going to look at how prayer can keep the enemy from stealing the blessing of your expanded authority. Increase my authority, he prayed, but then he prayed. After that, let your hand be with me and also keep me from evil and keep me from doing harm to others. There are seven types of evil that God wants to deliver us from. The first is natural evil. This may sound strange to our scientific understanding, but apparently the enemy can even manipulate events in nature. We know this because when the enemy attacked Job, you will remember that he caused a great wind to come that collapsed the house of Job's older, oldest son. And when it collapsed, it killed all of Job's children. They were all there. 
People ask about earthquakes. We've just had a horrific hurricane this week that is still making its way up the East Coast, ravaging the East Coast. We in this city know the effects of hurricanes. We know because just a couple of years ago, we were visited by that hurricane that would made such a mark on all of our lives, Hurricane Harvey. So many were devastated. We were deeply involved in helping rebuild the community. People may find it strange to think that the enemy can manipulate weather. But you see, this type of evil is also the result of man falling and then surrendering the world that God created and gave him authority over to the enemy. When man sinned, he relinquished authority to a sinister force whose modus operandi is to steal, kill, and destroy. This world has been broken ever since. Yes, it has. The weather is broken. Our health is broken. Relationships are broken. Finances are broken. Mankind's relationship with God was broken. As a result, there is natural evil. Instead of man possessing dominion as he was created to do, there's disease and bacteria that make us all ill. There are storms, as I said, nature out of control. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the scripture specifically tells the story that the disciples were in a great storm and were afraid they were going to perish. And then they woke Jesus up and said, do you not care that we're about to lose our lives? And he stood up and with a simple word, the Bible says he rebuked the storm and the winds abated and the sea immediately became calm. Do you mean to tell me that prayer might have an effect on the weather? I'll tell you what, it sure wouldn't hurt to try and see, would it? Hallelujah to the Lamb. We want to do everything we can to help everybody that's hurting and prepare. But could it be that we might be neglecting one of the most important forms of preparation that exists? There is a mighty God in heaven. And when you pray, God answers prayer. Number two, there's also supernatural evil. These are the malevolent spirit beings that act against us and seek to destroy the world in which we live. One third of heaven's angels were cast out of heaven because they rebelled against God, joined in the rebellion with Lucifer. These are the fallen angels who seek to attack what God loves more than anything else, which is mankind. In Mark chapter 5, the story is recorded of a man who was possessed with a legion of demonic spirits. A legion was a Roman military unit consisting of four to 6,000 Roman soldiers. That name is significant. It means, whether you recognize it or not, that there are supernatural forces who are engaged in war with mankind. We are legion. We're not a scattered band of ragtag enemy combatants that don't know each other. We are organized into a fighting force. That's what that name meant. I'm not teaching any of this today to frighten you, but rather to inform you of the realities of what lie behind some of the things that we experience. Oftentimes when trouble rises, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't just bad luck. It could actually have been an attack of the enemy. But the good news, and this is why I have to say this, if you deny there is an enemy, you have to deny there is a potent solution that can fix the problem. 
There is a cure. The good news is that the enemy is rendered powerless when you are able to discern his strategies and then pray against him. When you plead the blood of Jesus. I wish I could hear an amen. When you call on the name of Jesus, things begin to happen. I thank God for that old gray-headed woman that raised me, my grandmother. When she took us into her home, I was only four years of age. And I hated it because she prayed. She had a squeaky screen door on the back porch that gave away everybody that entered into that house. And when I got thirsty and needed to come in and get a glass of water as a little child, I'd open that screen door and I'd do it ever so quietly because you could hear her. The whole neighborhood could hear her when she prayed. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'd sneak into the house and she would say, Rich, is that you? Come join me. We're praying. I'd say, oh no, please, anything but that. Because when you're four years old and somebody prays an hour, it's like you're in the great tribulation period. I thought I would die. Amen. But she taught me something that I've valued ever since. You plead the blood of Jesus, it changes things. Hallelujah. When that man with a legion of spirits saw Jesus' boat crunch up against the shore, of Gadara, he ran to him to worship him. And what impresses me in the story, watch this now, is that with 6,000 demons, they could not stop that man from going to church. You didn't hear what I said. The enemy doesn't have such a hold on you that you can't get free. You can get free this morning in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. This man demonstrates the key that we should use when we're attacked by the enemy. It will stop him dead in his tracks. Worship. He ran and fell down and worshiped. If you can just worship. Oh, I'd really like to preach some more about that, but time won't allow me to. Amen. These forces also plot to develop strategies to tempt and to attack us as individuals. The enemy actually sets traps for you, studies you, sets a trap designed to your particular and unique leanings. And that's one reason Jesus said that we should pray that God would deliver us from evil. I can't see into the spirit realm, but God can. He sees all the machinations. He sees all the manipulation. He sees all the seduction. He sees all the temptation. He sees it all. The third kind of evil is moral evil. The last century saw people killed in horrific and unbelievable numbers. There were scores of millions killed by Stalin, by Mao Zedong, by Hitler, by Pol Pot of Cambodia. In the last century, we saw death on a scale that was unimaginable. People ask why it's getting worse. First, it's because there is no longer in our nation a moral foundation. That nation has been erased Used to, people used to be one to two steps removed from 
Christianity or for someone who knew God. Now they're four in five steps removed. That is to say, they used to know mama or they used to know auntie or they used to know grandmom. She knew God, even if we don't in our family. And you could always go to somebody that you knew that knew God. Now people are raised and don't even know who to turn to that will know how to pray. Our institutions pride themselves on becoming so enlightened that they do not read a, need a Bible-based morality any longer. We're instructed to leave the Bible out of our societies, our schools, our universities. Man can proudly make his own way, they say, without the instructions of God's word to guide him. The second reason that things seem to be getting worse is that society no longer believes that man was divinely created. We're told that we're mere animals just a little more highly evolved in the Darwinian process of the survival of the fittest. With 65 million abortions having been committed in the United States alone since 1973, human life no longer is perceived as being sacred and holy. Amen. And that's tragic. And by the way, a week, a one month from today, we'll have Dr. James Tour, one of the top 50 scientific minds in the world, speaking for us in both services. He is a radically born-again Christian. His field is what I'm talking about right now. He will tell you that they have not created life. They're not near creating life. He said that it could not have evolved if the world had existed multiple times longer than it's existed. Already, there would not have been time for life to, to come forward forward. You don't need to hear it from me. You expect that. I'm a pastor. Hear it from one of the leading foremost scientists in the world. He's coming one month from today. So you have, first of all, the absence of a moral foundation. Secondly, a society that no longer believes that man was divinely created. And third, we're also told there is no God before whom we must someday stand and give an account of our actions. You put those three things together and people no longer feel the need to believe in a God before whom they will someday stand in judgment and I can now do anything I want to do. Anything. Do you hear that? Anything. Including taking a gun and shooting up a school. This is horrific. It breaks my heart. We need to go back and discover the cause. Stop treating the symptom. Let's go back and deal with the fundamental reasons we're in the mess we're in. The result of these three things is horrible incivility toward one another. Unrestrained rage simmers just beneath the surface. People are divided. Hate festers and boils over at the slightest provocation. There are now over 300 mass shootings each and every year in this nation. They're direct, directly attributable, in my opinion, to the absence of the existence of a moral base. A disregard for the sanctity of human life. And the failure to realize someday, buddy, you're going to stand before God. You better get it together. The fourth form of evil or evil thoughts. In James 2, 4, the writer tells us to judge or discern our thoughts and then stop entertaining evil thoughts. Your thoughts determine your feelings and your feelings will determine your actions. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, that out of the heart come evil thoughts. All of these things, sexual impurity and et cetera, et cetera, come from the heart. All of this, evil thoughts. The fifth type of evil is evil words. James 3, 8 tells us that the tongue is an unruly member of our bodies and full of evil. 
James 4.11 tells us not to speak evil of others. 1 Peter 2.1 tells us that we should put aside evil speaking if we wish to fulfill our destinies and live the life that God created us to live. 1 Corinthians 25.33 cautions us that we should not allow ourselves to be deceived into believing that we can use speech that isn't godly and that it will not affect us negatively. It will affect you. Paul warned that evil communications will corrupt good manners. There is an extraordinary important principle involved in this. Your life will always end up reflecting your speech. I wish I could hear somebody say that's right. Look at your neighbor and say, did you know you speak your world into existence just like God did? Yes, you do. What kind of world are you speaking into your existence? Into existence? What kind of world are you creating for your children? What are you saying in your home? Hello, somebody. I know freedom of speech says I can say anything I want to say. There's some things you should not say as a child of God. What breaks my heart is that evil is celebrated. You don't even want to go to YouTube anymore. Some guy, I, I love music, so I play guitar and, and I'll go to some of these guitar postings on YouTube and they're extraordinary. I've got a teacher and he lives in, in Wisconsin and the guy's unbelievable, uh, Michigan rather, and he's unbelievable and he'll put these postings and then somebody will uh, come back and put something derogatory on underneath it just because I've got the power to get on here and I, 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 can, I can make you feel bad. I hurt so I'm going to hurt you. My life is messed up so let me see if I can mess yours up too. You better watch what you say to people. You, you need to speak kind words. You need to speak loving words. You may not agree with what people are doing but love them anyway. Can I hear somebody say amen? Come on, let me see somebody give God a praise break. Hallelujah. Then there is also the evil one. This is the sixth form of evil. There is an actual enemy who leads an underworld of wicked forces who conspire against us. The scripture tells us that this person, this evil individual is a very real personality. And he has come to accomplish three specific objectives. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. I believe that there is a malevolent force. I one time went to the hospital for the mentally uh, ill in Alexandria, Louisiana. I was raised in Louisiana. And I happened to be preaching. In those days, I was an evangelist. I was preaching for a man that was a pastor, but also served as the chaplain for the state hospital in Alexandria, Louisiana. And he said, come with me and we're going to go down. We're going to visit with some of the patients. And some of them are really stressed out and going through some difficult things. And they've needed time to get away. And, and they're being treated. And we went and we prayed and we encouraged people. And then he said, I want you to take another trip with me. And he went to the division of this hospital where they kept the criminally insane. And it was all locked up. And so we had to go through this process. And we got inside. And we were walking among some of these, these people. There was a large common room and, and your heart breaks for people that have reached this point in life. And I sensed something and I could hear, feel the hair stand up on the nap of my neck. And I turned around and there was a, an unkept gentleman. I'm not making this up. 
I was preaching for a man named Shorty Mayo, Pastor Shorty Mayo, and this gen- this fellow behind me he had a leather band around his waist with some straps here that were like they were not handcuffs, but his hands were strapped to his side, and he could move his arms slightly up and down, but not enough to get his hands out. And he was behind me, and he was stretching his hands up like this to try to get them around my neck. And I saw that, and I, I turned around, and he just looked at me, and then he hissed, and he said, Richard Hurd, we know who you are. <laughs> this Richard Hurd? Boy, did that change my perception about some things in life. I believe that there are people that whose mind can become ill just like your liver can or your pancreas or your lungs or your heart. But I also need you to know there is a real malevolent force that is behind some of the things that are happening out there. People often wrestle with the question of where to attribute blame when tragedy strikes. And there's nothing the devil likes better than Pointing at God and saying he did it. Jesus told a parable of a man who bought the very finest seed he could buy. Then he had his servants planted. And during the night an enemy came and planted poisonous tares among the wheat. And when the tares came up the servants were perplexed. And they went to the master and said didn't we buy the finest wheat? And he said yeah we did. And they said well then where did these poisonous tares come from? And the master made this one statement that. I've used so many times at funerals when people in tragic circumstances lose a loved one and they look for someone to blame. Sometimes they lash out at God and I'm always quick to say, no, the master said an enemy hath done this. An enemy, look at your neighbor and say, you have an enemy, would you do that right now? The need to know, you need to know. The need to know this is is very important, that you have an actual enemy who leads demonic forces of fallen angels. Now I'm about to wrap this up. The New Testament calls him Beelzebub, the prince of devils. His strategies have not changed in all these years. He uses deception, temptation, and accusation. That's the only three tools he has in his toolbox. When he encountered Eve, the first thing that he did was to make her question the word of God, lead her into temptation. Did God really say that you should not eat the fruit of this tree? Are you sure? He wanted her to embrace an alternate belief. Don't ever let anything cause your devotion to the word of God to be taken away from you. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Can somebody in the building say yes? Then he tempted her because she saw that it was good for food. A tree to be desired, fruit to be desired to make one wise. And she gave it to Adam. And finally, after temptation, what he did is condemn. Once they had eaten it, he stood back in the shadows and laughed. Condemned them. Adam and Eve are ashamed. As I mentioned a couple of Sundays ago, God came looking. And they said, we're hiding. We're hiding. Why? Because we're naked. We feel ashamed. Who was standing in the background saying, and who is it that every time you make a mistake tells you you're not worthy when God shows up too? 
and tells you God will bless everybody but you. Hello, somebody. I want you to know that deserving and earning the merit of God are impossible. It's by grace that we are here this morning. None of us deserve the right to be in this house right now. None of us deserve to be in his presence. And so you can come boldly to the throne of grace. No matter what the enemy's whispering in your ear, telling you how bad you are, that God knows your mistakes, tells you he knows where you messed up. No matter how many times the devil says that, you know what you do? Brush him off. Do this right here. W- would you help me out? Let's do, a, let's, ta- let's do something that has prophetic significance. Do this. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm brushing him off. Would you do that? I know I don't deserve to be here, but he made me worthy. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Finally, there are what the Bible called evildoers. You see what the sixth form of evil is, as I said, is Beelzebub, the prince of devils. What he does is he tries to take the other five forms of evil and use them to develop a strategy to cause you to become the seventh form of evil, an evildoer. Satan's desire is to organize those first types of evil into a successful assault against your life. He wants you to become number seven. The seventh type of evil is an evildoer. These are they whose thoughts have been allowed to just run in the wrong direction and then their speech be influenced by the enemy to the point that now in acting out their, these thoughts and their speech, they have stepped over into a realm that is controlled, where their life is controlled by evil forces. Now I want to say this, at some point in my life, that was me. I was an evildoer. I recognize that. I'm not so proud that I can't say it. I was programmed into the wrong things, grew up doing stuff I shouldn't do. But I want you to know that when Jesus came one day, like the demoniac in the tombs of Gadara, I recognized there's my hope right there. That's what I've really been looking for. And you know what I did? Because there's not enough power in hell to keep you from surrendering your life to God today. I got up and I said, there he is. I need him. And if you will come to Jesus, you will find what you need. Now here's why this is important. Because you pray for God to increase your territory. He will. Oh, my time is gone. He will give you greater authority. But you can lose it if you don't use your authority the right way. Because as a mere mortal, you can't stand for yourself against the enemy. And some people, in having their authority increased, they end up using it to go further into darkness than they were before. When God blesses you, look up. Realize where your blessing came from. Realize who your blesser is. And develop an attitude of appreciation and thankfulness. Many people do not realize that with increased blessings will inevitably come increased attacks by the enemy. Greater blessings mean greater temptations. Ask anybody that's ever been raised poor and suddenly got their hands on a little money. With that, all kind of temptations come crawling out of the the woodwork. You know what you need? You need something on the inside that's stronger than the temptation that's on the outside. You need Jesus in your heart. 
And the good news is, and I close with this, Satan is a defeated foe. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Don't you leave this place thinking today that I've in any way glorified the enemy. I want you to realize somebody showed up 2,000 years ago. Can I say it like I mean it? He put a whooping on the devil that the devil has not recovered from ever since. Hallelujah. 1 John 2, 14, I have written to you fathers because you have known him from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you're strong. I want you to say that. Everybody here, I am strong. And the word of God abides in me. Say it. And I have overcome the wicked one. I don't care what you're going through. Say, I am strong. Change your speech. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Don't walk around saying, I'm beat, I'm defeated. You look at the devil and say, you may have me down temporarily, but by the grace of God, I'm coming out of this. In Jesus' name. And then you get the word of God in you because it's the word of God in you that's going to make you even stronger and help you overcome. Hallelujah. You don't have to fear evil. He certainly doesn't fear challenging you, but he knows who to pick on. And if you collapse like a house of cards every time he shows up, don't be surprised if he comes back around again tomorrow. Stand your ground and say, I'm planted like a tree by the rivers of water. My leaf will not wither. Everything I do will prosper. Hello, somebody. The hand of God is on my life. I'm blessed. I'm on my way to heaven. I've got the name of Jesus over me. I'm covered by the blood of Calvary's lamb. There is no weapon formed against me that can prosper. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Plural. Them. Because he who is in you (laughs) is greater than he who is in the world. God wants to set somebody free today. God wants to deliver somebody today. Somebody that's struggling, God brought you here to let you know you can leave this place at a different level than you were when you came in. Stand with me if you would. The fifth thing that Jabez prayed is that God would not let him bring pain to others. 1 Corinthians 4.10, this time the e-cloth, that you would keep me from evil and that I may not cause pain. You know who causes pain to others? Those who are hurting themselves. Jabez didn't want to make decisions or do things that would hurt those dear to him. He realized that with increased responsibility always comes in greater authority. Or that increased responsibility always comes with greater authority and power. And so this may not hurt at this level. But this, at another level, may break somebody's heart. You see what I'm saying? As God increases your authority, you have increased ability to do either harm or good. And Jabez wanted to keep the authority that God gave him. So that's why he prayed those last three things, that your hand would be with me, that you would deliver me from evil. 
and that I would not use the authority you've given me to wound other people.